0: This is Unfortunate History. What's up, everybody? This is Cody Pennington. And this is Greg Skinner. And welcome back to Unfortunate History, the podcast that covers the wacky, interesting, and unfortunate moments in history. Boy, oh boy, it's good to be back.
1: How excited are we for this? And that's to you, the listeners, as well. We can't hear you, but just let
0: it be free. How excited are you that we're back? No, make some noise. I want to hear applause when we release this episode. I want the you whole know, world you... to just... <sighs> You're in like a quiet office and you just go, yes! <laughs> 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 Fuck yeah! <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, uh, I was going to start this off by saying I had um, hoped that I would curse less in this season. Not... Not like extremely less, but marginally less. So I'll try to do that, but I, I just ruined that. So.
1: Does that go for me as well? Or? It doesn't
0: have to. I feel like there needs to be a balance, a yin and yang. Because we're yanging out right now. We're yeah, just yanging, okay. the, we're yanging like crazy, and we need a little bit of that yin. I'm English. I drop C-bombs like nothing. I know, yeah. Well, that's why I think why we're doing so well in Australia, because we're having a lot of Australian listeners. There you go. They can relate. Yeah, I know. So everybody, thank you and welcome back. Thank you for tuning in to this new season. I would say it's season three, but we haven't really been keeping track. We've just taken a long break. Thank you so much for staying uh, and listening and being amazing fans up to this point. It's been really cool seeing the numbers still go up while Mm -hmm. we take a break. I was scared to take a break because I thought everything would just die, but it hasn't died yet. Mm Mm-hmm. He hasn't died at all. Uh, we are Gre- still alive. Yes. And Greg is still drinking his uh, Fosters. No, it's not Fosters. This is, it, it, it's, it's Galahad. It's out his own. Galahad. <laughs> you know, mate, I, I don't splash out. You say that like, you say that, it, it's Galahad. Yeah. <laughs> Galahad. You know, that that wolf, it says it's a premium lager. Yeah, ex- absolutely. Uh, it sounds premium. Highbrow. Wow. Highbrow. Highbrow. Definitely highbrow. You know what? I can't say anything. I'm actually drinking uh, Little's own whiskey. <laughs> there you go. There you go. You was drinking that the other night as well. I was. I was very inebriated the other night. You were. You were. We all were, but you especially were. I was. I was screaming about Tim Hortons at the top of my lungs in the middle of Birmingham, UK. Because that's exactly what you want when you're on a night out with your friends. It's like, I want to go to Tim Hortons. I want a donut. And he wouldn't shut up about it, and we didn't go. You know what? <laughs> Anybody that has eaten Tim Horton donuts listening to this right now will be on my side. Uh, at 3 o'clock in the morning, they would love a Tim Horton donut. Tim it Horton's just, it,
1: donut. It was like from the second I saw you to the second look you realized it wasn't open anymore. It was nonstop Tim Horton. It was. I grabbed <laughs> you
0: close, and I just looked you in the eyes. I was like, Tim Horton's. <laughs> what did you say? Caramel glaze. No, no, maple glaze. Maple
1: glaze. That's when then you had a rant about Canada, and that's yeah, a, that's a it's
0: super Canadian. It's the most Canadian thing in England right now is maple glazed donuts. It's fantastic. It's really good. Well, let's get on back to this episode. Let's let's bring it back because we're already out of we're already out of control. So. I had a couple of things that I wanted to say about the podcast before we get going. I talked to Greg about it. He, he wanted to say it as well. It's not just me, but we have a, something new that we want to tell you guys about that we're really excited about before we jump into today's topic. So now that we've started this new season, we had a bit of time to really sit down and come up with different ideas on what we can do for the podcast to make it a bit more successful, but to also keep it accessible. So mm-hmm. we've decided now... All of the main episodes that you hear, including this one and all of the rest of the season, are completely free and they will always be free. Mm -hmm. That's never going to change. But we've decided that we're also going to introduce an Unfortunate History Plus feed. This is kind of like a Patreon if anybody's seen that kind of stuff, but we're actually doing it through a different service. But in this feed, you'll get access to all of our extras, everything extra with the podcast, which includes... Um, all of the Gregisodes that we'll be coming up with. Yep. It'll uh, include all of our mini history quickies. It'll include any interviews we do. All of the extra stuff we're going to throw on that feed. So if you're listening to this particular episode on the main feed, you won't see those. They'll all be lo- uploaded onto the extra feed, which you can uh, go to the service, which will be linked in the uh, episode description of this um, episode. Or you can go to unfortunatehistory.com slash plus. And you'll be able to access that for $4.99 a month. Now, I believe that's $4.99 a month and £4.99 a month. So I -hmm. believe it's uh, the way the service works is that no matter what country you're in, you're charged in your local currency, Mm -hmm. which we thought was a decent amount because uh, we will be trying our best to upload as much possible information on that feed. But we're also going to introduce an entirely new show Mm -hmm. to that particular feed, to the Unfortunate History Plus feed. So Greg and I have decided, and we might be introducing somebody else with it as well. We're not 100% sure yet, but we might have a third host on this show. We're going to be introducing the show Making History. Yeah. And this one will be Greg and I and possibly a third person discussing the news of the week. And this, our plan is to do a weekly show where we, we discuss everything that's going on in the headlines that are going to end up in our history books at some point in the future. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, obviously, the Kyle Rittenhouse uh, trial was just happened. We've had the Ahmad Arbery trial happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything that happens in the headlines that you might be thinking, gosh, what does Greg and Cody think about this? <laughs> You'll be able to get our opinions on that, on that special uh, Unfortunate History Plus feed. Yeah. So, so we think it's a pretty good deal. I think it's a pretty good deal. It's, a, it's about what? 124 a week? 125 a week. Also, actually, including all of the extra bits, all of the extra stuff we record from the show, including all of the Gregisodes, history quickies, interviews, as well as the new show, Making History, we're also going to be releasing all of the main episodes for this season early on that special feed so Mm -hmm. we're going to release them as and as they come in so essentially you might get them you might get even get two a week depending on how fast they get released so uh, if you want to listen to this season instead of it being every other week if you want to listen to it a bit earlier so say possibly weekly then you can also sign up for the plus feed it'll be you'll get access to those as well i mean i think that's quite a good amount of stuff Mm -hmm. i think well, so, you're having a particularly slow day at work and oh, i have got nothing to listen to. 4 $99. Four ninety nine. <laughs> Give yeah. us your money. Yeah. Give it us. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking do it. No, see, if you really do think that we deserve a little bit of cash for what we do on the podcast, it really would help us out. And it also, like we said, the main show is going to remain free no matter what. Yeah. So, if you'd like to support us, feel free to go over to slash plus, and you'll find the link on there to sign up for the Unfortunate History Plus feed and we'll also include some instructions on how to put that feed on your phone if you're on an android you have google podcast that's already in um installed on your phone and you can uh, install a private feed on there or a um uh, it's a private feed but it's like a personal feed on there or if you want to do it on apple Podcasts, you can also do it on there so yeah. no matter what device you use you can use this service
1: yeah like you said a lot of work goes into this podcast more from coder than me well, but,
0: but, <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, um, like I say, we want to put out more content for you guys, but at the same time, like I say, it's a bit of a give and receive. You'll still
0: get the main episode for
1: free. 100%. But if you want all this extra stuff,
0: <laughs> four <$4.99. laughs> We're also <laughs> looking into bringing in advertisers for the main episodes and on this particular feed. So you won't hear the ads on the plus feed. So we will have some ads that will come out on this feed, hopefully, um, by the time we release all of these episodes. But, you know, obviously, if we don't, we don't. But you'll never receive ads on the Plus feed. So mm-hmm. that's something to remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, with that being said, I think we can head on to today's topic. I hope Let's you guys don't it. mind. We do just want to... Try our best to make the podcast successful. And Mm -hmm. if you think that you would be happy helping us do that, then feel free. But it's no pressure. We just enjoy having you guys here. Yeah, we do. Now, on to today's topic. We thought, I thought at the very least, that we would start this whole thing off with a huge bang. (laughs) That's not. actually not that's not, I didn't mean, that was not a pun. Um, I didn't, a pun, It was not, a fucking pun. It was a pun, but no pun intended, obviously. Today we're going to start off with our first episode in our two-part series on the attack on Pearl Harbor. Big hitter. Somewhat of a big hitter, yeah. I mean, it's huge. It's a very interesting story, actually, but it is a huge turning point in
1: history i was gonna say it was the precursor to one of the biggest moments in
0: in the world in war essentially ever you can actually argue that this was one of the biggest moments in history Mm-hmm. itself it did precurse <laughs> quite a lot of terri- a lot of destruction but <laughs> a lot of the americans go fuck it <laughs> yeah a lot of them just said you know what i think uh, uh, you can imagine them all around the table saying we can't do this there's too much death and destruction if we do this and then they heard about that and they were like eh. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> we've been looking for a
1: guinea pig for quite some time yeah. the germans are quite far away <laughs> mm-hmm. Let's just do it. Fuck. fuck it. How, how many have we got? Two? Yeah, Both of them.
0: Go ahead. And if you're wondering what we're talking about, obviously we're talking about the atomic bombs. But we will be doing another series on those in and of themselves. So mm-hmm. do not count on those being dropped on you in this, <laughs> in this series. Now, the morning of December 7th, 1941, I mean, it really quite literally was a day that lived in infamy. To quote, mm-hmm. obviously, the famous presidential quote. Now, the attack on Pearl Harbor, it killed thousands of Americans. Thousands. That's actually really, really important to remember. It killed thousands of Americans. That's an, an increasingly large number that when, uh, when you think about it. It was a very substantial attack. And it also showed the country just how brutal Japan could be if that wasn't already evidenced by their attacks on China, like we discussed Mm -hmm. in The Rape of Nanking or Nanjing. Mm -hmm. Now, the attack attack itself was an immense success for the Japanese prior to America's involvement in World War II. Obviously, up to this point, we had been a bit on the fence, not really doing much. But I believe up to this point, America had been uh, producing... Uh, War time. I think we had been producing up to this point to assist European powers, but I'm not 100% sure. Either way, we were not involved in World War II. At (laughs) least not physically fighting. But it was a very short-lived success as this attack also brought forth the full force of the American military onto the people of Japan in what would be known as the Doolittle Raids, Doolittle Raids, and (laughs) later the dropping of the atomic bombs like we alluded to earlier.
1: Now, see, this attack was primarily on naval ships, wasn't it? It was naval fleets. It
0: was, but there was also attacks on some airfields that were because it was in Hawaii, obviously. But yeah, it would be more and more of a naval attack. But it was also attacks on the surrounding airfields in that, especially uh, to keep American soldiers from fighting back from was, uh, obviously from airfare and that.
1: Supposedly, but. Surely they would have known that you're going to feel the wrath from doing this. Like, like you said yourself, where you're going to feel the full force of the American military. Like, <laughs> you've you've got the American fist right up the ass coming at you now with the college ring tickling your epiglottis.
0: <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Well, you know what? We'll, we'll we'll probably be discussing that a bit in this episode, but that's true. And I uh, you know me, most of the listeners know me. I will not sit here and say America's the greatest country in the world. I won't say that for any country in the world. and we've learned that from this podcast. No country in the world's great. No. But America was a sleeping giant at this point, and they really, really tested their luck. The Japanese did with this attack. And I think they knew that, and actually we will see that a hundred percent. Especially the people in charge definitely knew this, which is what we're going to discuss today. Mm -hmm. They knew it was a bad idea, but their ideology kept them moving forward.
1: I was about to say that their way of being
0: is is literally that of,
1: I don't even know how to word it like, never surrender. Literally, throughout history, Japan's been that never surrender. Their main form of attack was kamikaze pilot. How do you convince someone to do that? Like, I'm not loyal enough to loyal enough to anything to say, I'm going to get in that plan and smash it into something.
0: No, it's insane. I mean, well, actually to me, it is insane. And I think to most people it would be insane, but it is an ideology. It is a empire comes first ideology. And we're going uh, to discuss that. Like I said, that's going to, we're going to, that's going to be a big part of this entire series, but mainly today's episode.
1: Well, it's, it's something that's been in sort of Japanese culture since, as long as you know, civilized man has been—I would not say civilized, but since mankind's been around—given that sort of what's that, what's their main method of execution, seppuku. Yeah, uh,
0: seppuku. No, seppuku. Se- is that the right term? Sudoku. That is <laughs> the game. That is a game.
1: <laughs> no, that, you know what I meant about so where the, they literally uh, yes. stab themselves in the gut and then allow themselves. They willingly did that kind of stuff. It's, it's, well, it's that's kind, not it,
0: just stabbing. Let's be fair. That's not just stabbing yourself in the gut. It's stabbing yourself in the side of, of the tear, gut and then tearing it from, It's I think it's either left to right or right to left and you just literally bleed out. That's just dis- And, and then, you get,
1: then you get beheaded. But they willingly did that. As they a, did. You know, it's like if you. It's to do with dishonor. It, it is, yeah. In some ways, okay, some ways it's insane and otherwise you kind of gotta tip your hat to them but (laughs)
0: it's 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 like what happens when your principles go to the extreme Mm -hmm. you're willing to give your life and we can argue especially from the topics that we've covered on this podcast extremism in any facet in any way is terrible extremism Mm -hmm. is the worst idea is the worst way to live through your principles. If they are extreme in any way, then you're blinded by everything, and you end up flying a plane into things. Which, <laughs> if, you're, if you if you want to compare Jap- Japan fly- flew things into flew planes things. into things, look what you know Muslim extremists did Not or 11. Islamic extremists did. So you know extremism is a dangerous way t- to. Um, I'm trying to think of the best way to word it, but extremism—say, uh, like surrounding, surrounding your principles in extremism—is the worst mm-hmm. way to have it. You can have principles, and they could be centered in a way that is not fighting other people literally to the extreme to want their death. Mm-hmm. Pick up a guitar. Yeah. Or you need to just focus on
1: something good. Like give something back to the world. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Well, in this two-part series, we won't be discussing the Doolittle raids that we alluded to earlier. That those will actually be a extra episode that we throw into the Unfortunate History Plus feed that we mentioned earlier. It won't you won't need it to finish up this series, but if you want to hear the next bits of what happened after Pearl Harbor, that's a good way to go. So, I guess that's another reason for you to go over to the Unfortunate mm-hmm. History Plus feed. <laughs> We also won't be discussing the dropping of the atomic bombs, like I said earlier. Like Again, I, again, those will come in another episode, and actually they will come in another season, which we just won't be cut discussing them now. We know what episodes we're discussing in this season, and those will not be one of them. Because we you can only have so much World War II. Mm, but World War II was a huge thing. We're we leaving the bombs till next season. We are leaving the bombs till... Well, uh, we don't even know if they'll be next season. We have so many topics to cover this season. They are, they are very... There are awesome topics throughout this season that that span generations and decades and centuries, and it's so uh, it's so much cooler to go on to other eras than to just think about the forties and you know nine uh, uh, World War Two and all that stuff. There's yeah. different options, and we've got a, got quite a few of them.
1: Well, we have got all of history.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Now what ah! we will be discussing in this series is the <clears throat> excuse me what we will be discussing in this series is the lead up to and the day of the attack on Pearl Harbor because as with all moments in history, it has some very interesting people involved with very interesting stories, and that includes the lead up to Pearl Harbor. I know it sounds, oh, well, you're making a two-part series and you're just trying to stretch it out. <laughs> yeah, but we're <laughs> also trying to give you some awesome history, uh, especially for the people involved, because I think the way to frame this to discuss the people that we're going to discuss today is very interesting, and I don't think it's what you'll think it, mm-hmm, what mm-hmm. you guys are expecting.
1: Matt Damon and Ben Affleck really fought hard this day.
0: (laughs) So fuck off. That's (laughs) funny enough. We will be having uh, will we will have a story in the next episode, part two. That will, (laughs) I think those characters were based on these two characters. I I really think they were, but these two characters were hundred percent badasses, and uh, you know, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon are. I like Matt Damon. Actually, Ben Affleck's pretty... I don't know. I don't mind either of them. I don't think they're the best actors. I don't think they're the
1: worst. I don't yeah, hate them. Yeah, but weren't
0: you telling me you d- you hadn't seen Pearl Harbor?
1: No, I've not seen Pearl Harbor. As I was about to say, I've never seen... I know of Pearl Harbor. I know Matt Damon and Ben Affleck are in it. I don't know who's who. Ben Affleck could have played Hitler in that film, and I wouldn't know. I don't think Hitler makes an appearance. Actually. I don't think he does, but it's kind of relevant in the time. Japan were allies with Germany. Yeah, I've never seen Pearl Harbor. Dude, that's should re- Should have seen Pearl Harbor, not seen it. You probably should have. have. Spans, if I have, I don't remember it.
0: It spans two VHSs. I don't think it's worth the time. Two v- Imagine the rewind time. I know. For you younger listeners, a VHS was a very large. Uh, square, if you want to call a square CD, if you'd like, it's to a call rectangle. It. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's rectangular, it's a rectangle, rectangular CD that uh, we had to insert into a very large machine <laughs> that would very noisily yeah. play our our films.
1: And this was before the days of subtitles. You had to really
0: listen over You're the
1: sound right. of over the sound of literally the VHS player. You did. in right? a <laughs>
0: Yeah, and then in that film, it was just nothing but <laughs> all these planes and shit And then a bunch of love making in airplane hangars. What a te- whatever! No, terrible, f- terrible film. Is it terrible? It's not very good. Oh, is it not? Have you not seen Team America: World Police? When yeah, they, I have. Seen the I've song sure Pearl not. Harbor sucks, and I need <laughs> and I miss you. Pearl Harbor sucks <laughs> just a little bit more than I miss you. <laughs> Anyways, uh-huh. let's crack on. Tensions between the Americans and Japanese were strained way before the attack on Pearl Harbor. In fact, American-Japanese relations had been strained for nearly a decade up to that point, and this is the best place to, be- to begin our story on Pearl Harbor. Now, the maj- go ahead. Were you trying to say something? I was just I was
1: thinking, like, what? Because I know earlier in time, I know that Japan and the UK and Britain were allies at some point. Not, f- I don't think it was very for very long, but they were. I'm just trying to think. It was. I, mean, I think it's around. I think sure it's during World War One. Well, Britain, Japan did Britain fought.
0: And, su- Japan fought successfully in World War One on the
1: ally side. Yeah, they did. And was it something to do because they wanted some of the islands sort of dotted around them? And they belong to China, and they just went and took them. Was it China? or Was it Russia? I know briefly a kind of around this thing, but I don't know when the turning point was where they started to get a bit hostile with the states.
0: Well, um, for one, I don't know <laughs> <laughs> because there's a lot of there is so much um, military history in that era between World War One and World War Two. There is so much that happens. I mean, you think about what just happened in the last four years in American politics that Mm -hmm. shit was happening back then as well (coughs) excuse me but if you're talking about when relations between the uk and japan went sour i imagine they went along the lines of when the u.s uh u.s and japan relations went sour as well which was a big thing when japan was very uh rude i'd say to china (laughs) (laughs) and obviously
1: hitler's heard of it and gone they'll be good on our (laughs) side yeah i suppose Well, that were allies, weren't they? (laughs) Obviously, there were allies: Germany and Japan, and obviously Italy, and that in the background. They they
0: they signed an agreement together, um, which we'll discuss in a moment.
1: I can't if if the war had gone a different way, and say the enemy had won. I can't. I could have pictured a war between Germany and Japan happening at some
0: point. I don't know, man. I think today we'd probably have a lot more PS5s floating around. <laughs> it'd probably Something be a organized. So yeah. be
1: like, We'd be on like the old phone
0: 17 by now. Yeah, fucking. we'd have teleportation devices. I don't know, man. These, and to, these atomic bombs white. messed it all up. <laughs> we'd all be
1: white. All of us. Every single one of us. <laughs> what a world!
0: <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. There would be no seasoning. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I missed you, Greg. Look at us, Greg. Look at us. Like we're two- going to lose
1: about an hour of this show due to you cutting me out. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Look at us, Greg. Just two historical cowboys just galloping through the ages. Just two Aryan cowboys. (laughs) (laughs) Would you like my blue-eyed blonde horse? (laughs) <laughs> nay <laughs> I tried to do that in a German accent nine, <laughs> nine. nine. <laughs> nine. <laughs> mm, kill the Jews nine I think we gained a few uh, subscribers to our plus feed earlier and lost a couple then <laughs> we're gonna see the, we're gonna be able to see the active uh, subscription and descriptions as we go along as this episode is released <laughs> Some people are subscribing
1: right now with very specific tattoos from prison. <laughs> Where do they
0: get all this money though? <laughs> Trump. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. No, let's let's not. Let's not get political or racist. We say that like, almost every episode. We're not political. Then we say some political shit. Well, if you want the full political shit, head on over to our plus feed listen to Make and History. It'll be all it'll all be there. <laughs> Well, the majority of these tensions between American and Japanese relations, these began with Japan's imperialism and expansionism that they had truly adopted around the turn of the 20th century. Now, those of you that listened to our episode on the rape of Nanking or now Nanjing, you will remember that uh, Japan had essentially closed itself off from the world in an attempt to bolster a huge level of nationalism and imperialism. But they've always kind of had that. They've always Kind been- of. But if you remember, we talked about this being a time where they literally went like a clam, shut off everybody mm. and said, we're going to build our country up. This is us. And, and then- what and- that did is closed everyone else. Anyone outside of that was not part of the empire and they mm-hmm. were not worthy of anything. And then
1: they took one look at China and went, can we have that?
0: Well, <laughs> yeah. But along with, uh, say, like the the imperialism the nationalism increasing along with that japan also benefited from two successful wars uh, one against china in 1894 to 95 mm-hmm. and then the russo china uh, russo japanese war in uh, 1904 and 05 so they did fight the russians um but as well as their ex, as well as their success participating in world war one so you could say maybe that they were getting a little bit too big for their britches very big for
1: the British. And it's kind of funny because they're not that big of a country, are they? Really? Japan no, is not, not that
0: big compared to the likes of China and Russia, who they've had wars with. Well, imagine, if you will, um, to that point, they're a very small country. They're landlocked. Sounds they... a lot like something familiar. Hmm.
1: Well, <laughs> actually, yes. now, now that you say it, and we've, um, the Brits have, not to toot my own horn, but the British have got quite an impressive.
0: History um, of imperialism? It,
1: yeah. Yeah, it's and definitely been, up there. And been the villains and you know, but we had a you gotta say something about the British military history. We've been good at it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, check out the Iranian coup if you guys wanna wanna know more about that. <laughs> uh, check out that episode. I really enjoyed that episode. Now, if you will imagine, Greg, around that time after the nineteen oh five Russo Russo Japanese War, um There was another thing that was coming around the corner at that point, uh, the Great Depression. In Japan? It hit everyone. Oh, the world. It hit the world. It also hit Japan really hard because they were a landlocked country. They didn't have – I mean, as a landlocked country, it's very important that you have really good relations. If you don't have the, um, the industry inside your country for manufacturing, oil, what have you, mm-hmm. you need to have great import-export relationships. That's the biggest thing with landlocked countries. That's, that's the biggest thing with a lot of countries. What mm-hmm. most people don't realize is, why don't we just shut off from the rest of the world? A lot of countries nowadays can't do that they have to have some form of international economic relations
1: Carter kind of reminds me of uh, Brexit and how
0: we all just went America <laughs> yeah. what 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 do you have what do you, can you guys help us out here yeah. and then America was like yeah if you give us our your NHS and uh, yeah. here we are <laughs> we've pissed off a lot of countries that are directly around us I'm just what a, do yeah. you have <laughs> we'll discuss it on the plus feed Now, see, during the Great Depression, Japan decided that it was time to start expanding their empire in an attempt to solve their economic issues. Now, this is where the expansionism really came in. They had the imperialism and the nationalism going, but the Great Depression really pushed them to start doing their expansionism because they knew, as a landlocked country, they needed other land in other parts of the world that were rich in minerals, rich in materials that were necessary, rubber, oil, all those types of things that you could literally fight a war with. (laughs) They were necessary (laughs) and they didn't have all of that on their, on their own soil. So this led to their invasion of China, beginning with the occupation of Manchuria, which lasted nearly 15 years. They walked in. And if you listen to the Rape of Nanking episode, they literally walked in and said, Mine and everyone was like, Hey, don't do that. But then he didn't leave, and nothing happened. That was it, they didn't happen. And then later on, as you know from the last from our Nanking episode, Nanjing episode, that culminated in the rape of Nanjing. Which was a horrible things, stupendously horrible. I think <laughs> yeah. if you're if you're wanting to be really good at being horrible, they were fantastic at it. Yeah, and, you're, like, you're like captain of being shitty. Yeah, and also let's not forget that this is <laughs> the same country uh, that went on to do Unit Seven Thirty One. And things so, that their whole history was all about honor. <laughs> you know I mean? I like, know. honor everything. And, and then, then, then their army does what
1: they did in Nanking. And if you really want to know and you haven't listened, go back and listen to the episode. It's a
0: fucking banger. It's really rough. It's really, yeah. really rough, the things they did to people back then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, all of these atrocities, this is what pushed the US in July 1941 to begin passing economic sanctions against Japan including things like trade embargoes on air exports, oil, scrap metal, and other things that, like we were saying, are very important for a Mm -hmm. landlocked country that doesn't have the infrastructure themselves. And, Greg, to your point earlier of when did they fall out with Britain, see, Britain, right around this time, and the uh, Dutch East Indies, they followed suit quickly after the US, as they often do. Uh, <laughs> and this led to, the, uh, to Japan losing access to, literally, they lost access to 75% of its overseas trade and 88% of its impor- imported oil. That's, That's big. That is, that is country breaking. You can't fight a war without oil. <laughs> you can't fight a war with that. No, see, none of this. You can't fight a war with, uh, without oil. <laughs> It, it, definitely, you can't fight a war without uh, the other goods we talked about, either oil, scrap mm-hmm. metal, all that kind of stuff. Does it,
1: does this include goods like perishables, or like foods, as well? Or? No, not necessarily. They had, they, they had. I've read something about rice fields as well. They were big on that. That was one of their main outputs. When he, um exports, yeah, yeah, exports.
0: I mean, yeah, they. I mean, they had. I think they had enough infrastructure for food, but they had no way. See, see, they had the infrastructure to survive as a country, but imagine a full scale war, world war. They would be literally. They'd last a couple of months and then be gone because they would just burn
1: through their resources. Mm-hmm. Is this where Germany comes by any chance?
0: No, not yet.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. Hang no. on. So, so how are America? Because I'm pretty sure America have the highest um military bill in the world right now. They they, always, they have
0: always had the highest. <laughs> are you bill.
1: are you guys not burning through resources and? Incredible rate.
0: <laughs> no, because we have like so many billionaires and so <laughs> many uh poor people. So essentially we have all this money that floats around in the ether that somehow ends up in the US government's pocket that just gets fun You know what? Just go over to the on History Plus feed you hear my thoughts on you that. You said
1: things that make sense but also don't make sense to me. And I'm like, oh I'm so confused. I think I might subscribe to our own podcast.
0: <laughs> just because I might learn I might just, learn something. Just head on over and just don't worry about it. We'll discuss it on the feed. Now, think about this, Greg. Japan was closed off, like I said, from the majority of the world mm-hmm. for the majority of their existence. They yeah. were closed off. As a country, I mean, imports, exports that are obviously a, a thing when—essentially when when, essentially when sailing was invented, that became a thing. But yeah. their country itself was just shut off, closed off. Now, mm-hmm. they knew— they did not have access to the appropriate resources to expand their empire without overseas trade, mm-hmm. and without obviously invading China. So everything yes. everything
1: comes back to invade. They look for any reason to invade and rape China. Exactly. <laughs> like that, oh, I saw a leaf fall off a tree. That's China. We need to invade China because oh, of that. It's lot. To, <laughs> turning
0: winter, we need to get out of here. Let's go to China. Fantastic winners. <laughs> The Emperor's like, <clears throat> oh, a cough. China! Get China! <laughs> <laughs> Coronavirus! Okay, let's just <laughs> So all of this, they're in a you know what? They're in a bad position. Let's just say it, let's put it that way. This begs the question of why they realistically thought they could get away with invading China. It's suppose, they're in a bad position. They're in the Great Depression. They have they have lost their major imports and exports. And now they're thinking, how could they get away with this? Not only this, not only the invasion of China and the rape of Nanking, etc. how could they get away with the attack on Pearl Harbor? How could mm-hmm. they think that they could get away with that?
1: Is that a mad thing? Cause um, we probably covered it on the, on the rape of Nanking episode, but what was like, you look at China now, China is a force to be reckoned with, you know, globally. But what economically, what, I think they are. Economically, they're, they're a nuclear power now. But back then, was it different? Because I'm sure they've always had a massive population, but so did Russia. But Russia did it the other way, where they if they've got a big population, throw them into the army, throw them at the enemy.
0: Yeah, I presume China Russia didn't do does that? not care about their people. They've, they've never they, they cared about their people in a war. Still don't now. <laughs> no, they've never cared about their people. Their people are very expendable because it's always by numbers, and that's I'm why sh- that's why people say it would be dif- uh, very dangerous if Russia and China ever tried to attack any everybody else because they well, just bring well, bodies in, d- in this day and age. Russia want to invade Ukraine, and the UK has
1: just gone. If you do that, we're going to war, Great. And that is scary. Plus, people—that <laughs> is scary. Everyone, be afraid. Historical, we are a limited time. We, we need to stick to the unfortunate <laughs> history side of stuff.
0: Now, it's hard to narrow down the viewpoint of why they thought they could get away with it, but I would argue that it's due to the fact that Japan, like we said, had closed itself off from the world, and mm-hmm. they saw themselves as the empire worthy of occupying all of China if not occupying occupying the entire world, they gained mm-hmm. this very, like we said, a, a nationalist view that made them feel they were on a higher level <laughs> of being compared to the people of China, at the very least compared to the people of China. But they could have easily thought everywhere else in the world is ours for the taking because they have this nationalist view this is what's really dangerous about extreme ex- na- nationalist extremism you know who that re- know what that reminds me of the germans reminds me of the germans reminds me of the british reminds me of uh, whoa, 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 ri- whoa, whoa. reminds me of the whoa. romans whoa. So reminds bring me the of British the. Into this. We've been good since the birth.
1: No time. man, I'm yeah. telling
0: you, it reminds me of everybody. The uh, Americans when they took America, the Romans when they took the entire fucking world, the Americans when they took um, America. Yeah, the when they took. Let me just say, unsettled America, or well, it was settled. Well, See, this is they the kicked.
1: No, they they they'd taken America. The Indians were beaten, and they decided we want the British gone. <laughs>
0: They just it it was it, it was uh, all a thing that we'll discuss on another podcast. But to me, it seems that at the basic level, Japan really was just getting too big for its britches. It was it needed a slap of reality, um, mm-hmm. it, and it's this is evidenced by how Japan actually reacted to these sanctions that America and then England and the Dutch uh, Dutch East Indies put on them. This, they, they reacted to these sanctions by. Um, well, prior to the attack on Pearl Harbor, the U.S. and Japan negotiated for action, for months. They had, they had literally been negotiating with each other for months to stop these sanctions to get the J- Japanese to lighten up. Now, it's, <laughs> it's important to remember that the U.S. was attempting to bring an end to the aggression with Japan, I mean, for months prior to Pearl Harbor. They were actually trying to say, look, we'll stop this, but you need to stop. The, the, you know what? The U.S. was the good guy in this fight. Oh, doesn't happen often. I do not say that often, but they were certainly <laughs> the good guy in this fight because because Japan was doing horrific things to people. Well, that you guys didn't want. to – You guys, America, they didn't want, really want to join the war. Well, they had, we had just gone through World War One. We're you know going through the Great Depression. Uh, or gone through the Great Depression. Why the fuck would we want to jump into a whole another war that, that was only um, a couple of decades ago? We destroyed our com- our country with this. Why would we go through it again? I can understand the the he- the hesitance to get into a war.
1: Considering no, it's almost like, you know the, it's happening on the other side of the globe. Exactly, essentially. <laughs> as well. I mean
0: you can understand that at that time of- the world was the world was way smaller or way larger back then. Well, look at this day
1: and age. Like, if some, if you hear about a horrible thing happening, you know, literally on the other side of the world, you go, and then you kind of dismiss it. I'm guilty of that.
0: Yeah, I think we all are. If it's not, especially if it's an underdeveloped country, Mm. because it's not like they have great amounts of, well, news or uh, social media and that. So yeah, we are, we're all guilty of that.
1: Look, how ignorant are a lot of us to what's going on in, you know,
0: Palestine and? Syria. You know what I mean? Plus feed. Plus (laughs) feed. Okay, I'm sorry. Well, the US obviously hoped the sanctions would deter the Japanese from their continued expansion into China, but it did the complete opposite. The sanctions, they actually convinced Japan to stand their ground. And further, it also increased the anger of the Japanese people against the Western countries for their interference in Asian affairs. I mean, and I say... Western, I'm talking also England, um, you know, the white man, that kind of stuff. You know <laughs> what I mean? <clears throat> they were – they obviously uh, – they already had anger. I, I'd say nationalism is a form of anger in some ways because it's like, who do you think you are having that country? It's our country. <laughs> you know, we should be having your stuff mm. in your country. But I feel like they they also see it as a slap in the face. It's like, you're going to take – you're going to put sanctions on us. Like we are the Japanese Empire. Why would? You, what do you think you're doing?
1: Again, it's that sense of massive self pride, isn't it? Really, which again, the, nationalism. The Japanese,
0: call it what it is. It's nationalism. Nationalism. Yeah. It's which, which, again, love, still, it's not just love for your country. It's obsession with your country being the the <laughs> not just the best, but the utmost, all important country in the entire world. The ruling force. Ruling force and also, yeah, making the decisions of who lives and who dies, just like Germany was in World War II. And like America is now. Well, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. Well, imagine this for a second to put it into a little bit of perspective. You, Greg, mm-hmm. Greggoson, you're a Japanese citizen <laughs> who, oh. is, who is truly believed. You are setting believed. me
1: up to become accidentally racist. Don't this do is it. not I'm not gonna do bite I'm not your lip.
0: Bite your lip. The racism will stay on the plus feed. Now bite your <laughs> lip, you gotta pay for that. Now, <laughs> Those tattooed guys in
1: prison are definitely <coughs>
0: they me. have, yeah, definitely. If they were if they were on the fence, they've done it now. Um, <laughs> you have truly believed from your birth that your empire is the end all be all. Like, put your horse blinders on. Mm-hmm. You go out to every morning, you wake up. This is so racist. You go to your rice field. <laughs> this is, I don't mean it to sound racist, but I'm just trying to oh. put, I'm not saying this is the average Japanese day. In this day and age, it would have been. I just, I just, this is kind of racist. They were businessmen, you know? I could have said you went to your, you went to your fucking,
1: I could have said. You went you, to your dry cleaners and then went to your solicitors. And, <laughs> or you,
0: you went to your law office. You went to your government job. Like, I just said fucking rice fields. But no, you,
1: when you got up, you put your Komodo on, you get your sword. <laughs> And you go to the Roger. That's exactly what you said,
0: Koda. You are a racist. Jesus Christ. I, I do apologize. Yes. You wake up, you do your, your Japanese day, whatever it may be. <laughs> your Japanese day. You, you do your American day, but with a Japanese flair. Or your British day with a Japanese flair. You do day.
1: exactly the same stuff we do, but you bow. Yeah. If we handshake your
0: bow. It's different. You just, endeavor I'm. I'm. We gotta stop. I'm gonna. I'm gonna be accidentally racist as well. So let's just stop. It's so now easy this, to be racist when you're this white. I know. Now, <laughs> now this empire that you that you've lived in, it's the most important empire in the world. Mm-hmm. Your country is second to none. In any case, no matter what, hundred percent second to none. Does it doesn't matter the imports uh, that you receive the exports you give doesn't matter the size of another country's military. Your home is the only place worthy of controlling all of the Pacific, the mm-hmm. Asian countries uh, or, or the world. Now this is, uh, it's hard to explain this, but it's not only that it's also that you find the empire reverent. It's reverent. It's, it's almost holy. It's this emper- say, the emperor is your God. How do you, what do you mean, reverent? reverent, as in you—you you have reverence for you. You um, you uh, see them as a deity. You see mm-hmm. them as mm-hmm. something all important in your life. It's it's a very important thing to you, and you grow up yep. raised to believe that this is a very important thing to you. It's so important. All of, all of it's all for the empire. It, 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 yes, the thing with Japan, even throughout
1: history, like the emperor has been. It's almost, it's almost like the queen in England has been seen. there have been military leaders in Japan while there's been an emperor. And that military guy has been calling the shots the whole time throughout history. Oh yeah. That's happening. happened
0: quite a lot. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like, I and that's, that's kind of going to happen in this story. They've this episode, let but. the emperor be the face, but there's always, that's happened throughout time with Japan well, especially.
0: That has happened, but the, that did never change the fact that the emperor was seen as a form of a God. I, I think
1: during this time, I think the emperor was legit. But I'm just thinking throughout oh, yeah, time. No. There, have, there have been times in Japanese history where they've gone, we'll let you sit on the big chair. Well, that's but, the um,
0: biggest That's the biggest plot point in Emperor's New Groove, this uh, really fantastic <laughs> Disney <laughs> film. If you've not seen it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I don't think I've seen that either. You haven't seen it? I don't think so. Paul the Lever. Wrong Lever! I I have no frame of reference for what you just did. (laughs) So funny! It's such a funny film. Was that Matt Damon and Ben Affleck? I don't
0: know. No, it is such a funny film. That is like one of the best films ever. It's got David Spade as a llama. He plays the. Uh, I
1: have seen it. Yeah, I have seen that. Yeah. I
0: know exactly what you're talking about. It's a good film. It's a fantastically good film. Yeah, that is a
1: good film. film. That's one of like Disney's David's- best
0: films of all time. It really is really good. David Spade nails it in that as well. I do like him as a llama I know exactly. Then it's got the big hench dude who
1: yeah, helps yeah, yeah. the woman. Um, to John, do.
0: it's not John Goodman. I think John. He Goodman. sounds.
1: It reminds me a bit
0: of um, the guy from Family Guy in the wheelchair. <laughs> uh, oh, G- Joe. No, it's not him. It's, it's not, not him. him. But it he, me he was him. quite young when that came out. I think actually. I don't even Probably would have a, been. think yeah. was a young. He was an actor by at that point. No, uh, it's very very funny film. Yeah, but no. Okay, so imagine uh, David Spade your emperor in your <laughs> in your British American Japanese day in your rice fields, and you're looking up and seeing your your <laughs> your seeing your llama David Spade your llama David Spade painted on your wall, and then now now all of this is all important to you. But now you have a country of really obnoxious douchebags. Yelling, "Yeehaw!" and then telling you <laughs> that your empire and your rice field and your David Spade, it's, it's nothing. The one that you enti- you, you've held up to the highest point in your entire life, the ultimate superpower, it's not. It's nothing like that. In fact, you're like 10th on the totem pole.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you are shit. We are amazing. Fuck off! That's and they're what very
0: is. obnoxious about it, which Americans are very obnoxious about it, even though they don't have health care. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just I, I joke. I'm American, obviously. I'm joke, mm-hmm. um, but they are very obnoxious about how good they are. Uh, especially at this time at the very least but at this time since forever which yeah, was what yeah. fr- America was since only they were f- since they were formed when we beat <laughs> England we were like <laughs> yeah I mean come on <laughs> come on like you've been a country what 300 years <laughs> yeah, yeah well you know flick of the hair and- as it is today. We've done it quite well so far. No. You're
1: <laughs> yeah, the obnoxious younger brother to the rest of the it world. It does make... It makes...
0: It's very, it's very telling that, the like, one of the most famous billionaires in America that everybody loves is actually South African. <laughs> uh, the thing is, that's what I, I've just thought of this. I think, like, Britain compared to, like, America is, like,
1: as, as someone who is an older brother, who has a younger brother who's taller than him, that is Britain to America... Like it's older, but America's bigger. Yeah, <laughs> just that's so. Like, yeah, and that's... you kind of look at them and go, "How dare you? <laughs>
0: <laughs> the uh, the audacity you've got to grow." <laughs> <laughs> that's very true, actually. Yeah, no, that's a really apt um, comparison, Greg. I I like that comparison. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I would I would agree with that. It's very true, though. I mean, imagine you see this kind of thing happening, and even in your situation as a British man, you're like seen in America. You'd think that they are just getting way too big for their britches. You know what I mean? It's not us. It's you guys. Well, you're, you're telling me that I'm my empire shit. What's going on? Well, in my opinion, at least, that's the mentality that the Japanese had at this point.
1: But It's weird because I think a lot of countries kind of have this. A lot of superpowers do anyway. Well, I, I would it, say
0: not to the extreme. Not not to, not not to the extreme to the point where they are okay with their country going in to invading another country i mean imagine if america just invaded canada or invaded mexico mm-hmm. I'll, in I'll, I'll think i
1: think at least i think in britain i think <laughs> i think there's a certain popu- percentage of people that would welcome it
0: <laughs> no i get it <laughs> if britain did it you know what i mean <laughs> no i get that yeah of course they'd welcome it but nobody is nonsensical enough to do that in britain or england or England, or America. Nobody's, nobody's senseless enough to do that, even though Russia's fucking senseless to do it. Japan's yeah. senseless enough to, senseless to do it at this time, at the very least. Uh, <laughs> Not China, is China. China now. China now, yeah, definitely. I mean, yes, so uh, what I'm saying is, at this point, what I'm trying to frame, the whole point of this whole last 30-minute conversation, mm-hmm. what I'm trying to frame is that Japan's ideology on their imperialism is extreme. It's too extreme. Mm -hmm. It's extremist, Mm -hmm. and it puts them in the mindset of, do or die, kill or be killed, you're not better than us, we're better than you, we can beat any war, we can win any fight. Mm -hmm. All we need is the gumption. Like You know what I mean? (laughs) All we need is to pick ourselves up by our Japanese bootstraps and get to going. But. I'm not going to say it. Just don't. Stop. Stop. <laughs> well, because of the... Can, uh, so, uh, uh, I'm moving on, that. Greg.
1: I'm moving I'll on. I'll just, from what we just said, I am worried about Russia. <laughs> just, subscribe. And you'll hear about how worried about Russia I am.
0: <laughs> just a whole episode of you crying and drunk, just crying about how They're going to get us. <laughs> we're, we're so close to They're
1: them They're going to invade Ukraine.
0: We know they are. We're going to get involved and we don't need that. <laughs> we have so many more things to get to. Now, go. Because of the economic sanctions on Japan, they now knew that the they, they had a very finite amount of resources. We've already talked about that. We've really <laughs> went into a lot of detail about that. Most notably, uh, oil was one of the biggest things.
1: As Be- it always is.
0: Yeah. Because of that, certain members of the Japanese military, most importantly, the mastermind behind Pearl Harbor, Isoroku Yamamoto, they knew that a drawn-out war with America would never ever end in Japanese victory and these are coming from guys that held the empire up to very high esteem mm-hmm. they knew an a war with May, um, america would never work did especially go, at least a drawn out war did you almost go a war with me <laughs> No, I didn't mean it. I, I just stuttered because I'm a terrible public speaker.
1: I thought you went, a war with me. I mean America.
0: No, no. Please don't war with me, Japan. You will win, no matter how much oil. You're they, a good lawyer, so you might actually bait them in the court of law. Yeah. Well, obviously, they thought they wouldn't win this drawn-out war with America because they just didn't have the resources. But further to that, the Japanese still also believed that war with America was an inevitability. Mm-hmm. They knew it had to happen to keep their status as a world superpower. They essentially couldn't back down. And, and, and further to that, they wouldn't back down. And mm-hmm. this is where the just-minded, uh, sorry, this is where the just-mentioned Isoroku Yamamoto really comes into our story. And Yamamoto will be the main focus of the rest of this episode because he is an incredibly interesting character in this particular story. See, I've never heard of this guy.
1: I've never heard of him, yeah. and uh, it's like I was saying earlier, where it, it, it's that sort of pride thing where Japan has a, does have a history of not backing down from anything.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, uh, you, you can really compare it to this wonderful Tom Cruise film, <laughs> The Last Samurai. <laughs> Where he obviously embodied the Japanese culture. <laughs> where they made an American, the main character of a film.
1: They made the American f- the last samurai. The, last, the most important samurai. An inherently Japanese culture that's been around since the dawn of... Not the dawn, but you We're going mean. to discuss
0: samurais in literally two minutes. He... he yeah, I mean, very uh, very great film. Uh, anyways. It is decent,
1: but I also found it funny that you said he was the mastermind behind Perth. Like, Mastermind, what should we do?
0: Plane. Yamamoto was incredibly intelligent. I know he was, but it's like
1: like, like plane plus fuel
0: plus pilot plus intership. It's not just that, man. There's more to it, I'm telling you. Just listen to the fucking story. Hey, fellow reader, why the heck aren't you reading more? You know you need to read more, but you'd rather sit back on your sofa with your dog on your lap, checking your phone, while catching up on the latest season of Big Bang Theory, which that show ended years ago. I get it. Life gets in the way. And if you're anything like me, you try to read in bed, but your eyes are closed before you've finished reading that same first paragraph for a fifth time. That's why you should try Audible. One of the best ways to access audiobooks, podcasts, and a plethora of other forms of audio entertainment. This really has been a lifesaver for me researching for the show. And since you're listening to this right now, I can tell you it's right up your alley. Right now, you can try a free month of Audible, which also gives you a free credit. You can use that credit on any book on Audible, and you can keep it forever. Unless the world explodes. Along with your Plus membership, you get access to tons of audiobooks included. So if you use your monthly credit, you've still got plenty of books to choose from turn your commutes into an open world adventure with audible just go to unfortunatehistory.com/audible that's unfortunatehistory.com/audible now as we mentioned just a second ago isoroku uh, if i'm pronouncing this wrong i apologize isoroku yamamoto was the true mastermind behind the attack on pearl harbor now, Yamamoto mm-hmm. was a Marshal Admiral of the Imperial Japanese Army, as well as the Commander in Chief of the Combined Fleet during World War II until his death, which we'll discuss in the next episode, which is also very interesting. Oh, we don't get to that in this episode. No, we don't. I'm telling you, there's a good story. I think I've done really well with this, patting myself on the back. Listen to <laughs> us. You should sign up for the Plus feed. Now, Yamamoto. <laughs> just dropping I, it in. I, I, getting the Plus feed,
1: you'll get a seance interview with. Yamamoto, it's Yamamoto. God, just
0: Greg doing a terrible <laughs> Japanese impression. I'm not going to do it. Don't do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yamamoto is a very interesting man, and his life is worth discussing to give a whole new perspective to Pearl Harbor. Before we dive into the day of the attack in the next episode, mm-hmm. now as it uh, as is the unfortunate history style, we will begin with Yamamoto's story at the beginning because we actually do know a lot about uh, at least somewhat of his uh, upbringing so was this one is this one one of those where he had no history before 25 or no like i just said we have we have history for him um, we actually um, have history yeah, yeah we actually do see interestingly isoroku yamamoto was actually born isoroku takano now this is something i did not know about japanese culture but his last name was changed when he was adopted into the yamamoto family see the Both families, the uh, Takano family and the Yamamoto family, they were samurai families. Hmm. And it was apparently commonplace at the time for samurai families to adopt young men into their families to ensure that they had a son to carry on the family name, the rank, and the income of of the samurai, Um, if they didn't have a son already, obviously. So essentially, the Yamamoto family was in need of a young man to carry on its name, and Isoroku was chosen to fill the role. So I'm going to presume that the Yamamoto family
1: already had other sons. The Takano family only had girls, and that's how this sort of switch-off
0: happened. Well, we, if don't, know both, if young, if, if we don't know if the Takanos had any family, or if if it might have just been a single guy. You but know.
1: The, the, the fact is that they're both samurai families. I'm going to. I think it's pretty safe to assume that the Takanos probably had other boys ready to carry on the name, and the, the Yam- Yamamoto's didn't. Um, that's that's what I'm going to assume you from what you just told me. assume
0: all you want Greg is just making an ass out of you and me. Because they're going to go back and check Yamamoto's family tree and they're going to see that the Takanos had five or six different girls <laughs> and, and all this other stuff because these fans that listen to us love to give us shit. You know what I... Bet them a fucking
1: subscription to our plus feed. We, we're not listening. We're not listening anymore. I have, I have to put about five different subscriptions to my own podcast because I lost it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now Yamamoto went on to the uh, went on to join the Imperial Japanese Navy, and he graduated from the Imperial Japanese Navy Academy in 1904, just in time to serve during the previously mentioned Russo, uh, Russo-Japanese War. I think I'm pronouncing that right. I might be wrong. Ru- Is it not Russo? It might be Russo, yeah. Russo-Japanese War. I mean, it's spelled Russo, but I thought, you know, Russo just sounds so much cooler because <laughs> it's Russian. Anyways, he then lost his middle and indexed fingers on his left hand during the Battle of Tsushima... Uh, which would obviously make those fingers the ghosts of Tsushima. Yeah. <laughs> nice, not played it. Can you imagine if those were the final bosses? Well, Yamamoto's fingers. Finger, you beat the index finger, and then a giant middle finger comes out to fuck <laughs> you, at up. you <laughs> But it's as hard as dead as uh, what is it? Dead souls. It's just dark souls. Dark How souls. Dare yeah. you? I'm sorry. Whatever. <laughs> Well, soon after this um, loss of fingers, he attended a naval college. He didn't retire, by the way. not like <laughs> not like you know veterans today. He kept going. But soon after that, he attended a naval college and graduated as a lieutenant commander. With him being promoted to commander in 1919 already. Very interesting guy. Very, obviously, very dedicated to his country. I I, I joke about as that. There are veterans. Everyone was. <laughs> uh, yeah. There are veterans in America, obviously, that continue on with uh, and serve with injuries and stuff. I was saying that as a joke. I'm a veteran myself. I was going to say, you are a veteran.
1: You kind of have the right to say it.
0: Well, I don't have the Well, anybody has the right to chat shit about anybody. If they like, that's freedom of speech. But... Yeah, but you if you do it against a veteran, you'll
1: probably get beaten up or something. It's taken in jest with you if always to start spouting shit against
0: American veterans, it wouldn't be taken
1: the same way.
0: No, it wouldn't be. I
1: have nothing but respect to, for any veteran.
0: Yeah. Good for good for all of you. I, I tip my hat to you sirs and ma'ams.
1: Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm.
0: whatever you prefer to be be referred to. Yeah, bigger
1: as. men and women
0: than me. Yeah. Now, interestingly enough, Yamamoto then spent time in the United States. Studying at none other than Harvard University after his promotion to com- uh, commander. So it's it's clearly an
1: intelligent guy. He's this a very intelligent guy.
0: Very, very intelligent.
1: His, so he's already gone through all this. He's already you know. A veteran, a high rank. he was a fairly high-ranking military official.
0: A very, very, uh, yeah, I mean, commander, he was... Commander, uh, uh, you literally command people in your job title. It's still not the the highest in the Navy, but he was still relatively high up in the Japanese military and was able to attend Harvard, which is hard enough for Americans to do. How old would he have been? Um, So this was around 19... 19 and he was born in oh gosh i didn't get his birth date um well i'd say he's probably in his mid 20s 30s so point. the guy's got the, the guy's got brains essentially he's Lord. got very yeah he's, he's obviously a very high achieving yeah. guy. he's already got leadership credentials oh yeah definitely now the most interesting thing about yamamoto is his mentality especially in regards to japanese expansionism Mm-hmm. Now as a member of the Japanese navy, Yamamoto was a huge proponent of a strong naval fleet and in conjunction to that, gunboat diplomacy. Now I can gun explain what that is. Diplomacy. A better way to explain what that is 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 to explain the opposite. The opposite of gunboat gunboat diplomacy in this particular scenario is the Japanese army policy of aggressive boots on the ground, brute force. As we saw in the Rape of Nanking. Yeah. So Yamamoto okay. was instead uh, a, a more a proponent of a show of force with a very strong naval fleet as opposed mm-hmm. to just invasions and yeah. doing uh, basically using a, a, scare you know, tactics. Not just you know scare life. tactics, but just like the brute force in terms of hammering. Uh, I, I don't know the, the term for it, using a sledgehammer for a nail. You know what I mean? Using it, it, something uh, just over-intensive, aggressive army expansion policy. Essentially using more equipment weaponry, if no, you know what I mean. Just the whole policy, inten- uh, just the, the overarching <laughs> policy of expanding into the country, invading China. It, it, it's centra etc that kind of stuff i mean no, is it, are you talking
1: about like, their original mentality which is that again you said you have that boots on the ground
0: what is that's the japanese army policy yeah but he was obviously the a navy man and his whole ideology was on having a strong navy especially as a landlocked country but and essentially he thought that you could have the same effect showing uh, a very strong naval force Mm-hmm. that you could have by invading and killing a bunch of people. Well, well, you could well, have the same th- fear and, and show the same strength without <laughs> having to show the same intense depravity. Well, it, um, it,
1: not to toot my own country's horn, but again, you look at the British throughout history, we've been renowned for our Navy. Yeah, throughout Throughout history, that was our winning thing. For such a small island, our Navy won us every battle we did throughout history. So I've got to think he might have taken a look at, you know, the British Empire and how that worked.
0: Yeah, he might have which, done, which, yeah. Which
1: was, dude, we had so many wars with the Spanish and etc. people who went to have, and the
0: Portuguese, people who went to have huge naval forces and dominated them. Yeah, of course. I mean, it is a big thing, obviously. I mean, having a, a very big navy, especially, like you said, for a landlocked country, it's a very big thing. And I think, yes, he probably could have um, gotten some form of, uh, inspiration, guess, inspiration. Yes, the word for for that. But the point here is that he, his ideology was was almost opposite to what was happening. What China was actually uh, doing, it was China. I mean, In sorry, Japan? J- Japan was actually doing what was, the policy they were actually enforcing. His mentality was pretty much on the opposite of that. And Yamamoto's political opponents, they saw the Japanese Navy really. As more importantly, used as primarily just a transfor- transport for the invading army land forces instead of a tool mm-hmm. to show force in the Pacific. And you even can, you can consider all of the the islands in the Pacific. A very strong navy in that part of the world is incredibly effective. Yeah, but is is that kind of
1: thing that I've always kind of thought? Again, it's kind of my ignorance. But what does? What does a strong navy mean? Like okay, you can sink other navy ships, but how does that go over to invading whole countries? Because you can only get so many people on a boat.
0: Well, well, you can also uh, pretty much like they did with the Iranian coup, where they landlocked all of their exports and imports. Oh, uh, is it? It's, it's like, about stopping. Well, you oh, could can stop, might- You could physically stop trade. You could also, and also at this point, we we should point out that air battles were not. Well they are, they're not what they are. I mean, that'll come into the do the extra episode. We'll do um, the Doolittle raids. I mean, that kind of stuff did not happen. You couldn't fly a plane from America to Japan and bomb <clears throat> Japan. It just it just did not happen. You couldn't mm-hmm. do that. That just yeah. wasn't a thing. So now, even still at this time, a, a strong navy was still a very important military asset, even though it, it always is, <clears throat> but it was a very important military asset.
1: It's it's, you kind of say it again, if you go even a bit forward, it's like D Day, mm. but they had just had the boats parked up so far away just shelling the beaches. Yeah, and that, that's sure. very
0: important as well. Oh, I mean, I'm okay, sure the I'm transport sure. side of it is very important, but mm-hmm. he just did not agree with the um, idea of the boots-on-the-ground brute force type stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, this mentality led Yamamoto to opposing the soon-to-come invasion of China. Yeah. He actually yeah. opposed it when it came. You've made a lot more sense to me there with what you've said about again, cutting off resources as opposed,
1: because again, I was just in the thought of the navy was just, okay, we'll sink the other navy ships, and I think no. well what well, well, that makes that makes like playing battleships. And stuff. literally that makes it so much more sense to me now that you've said that, like,
0: well, well actually, actually it literally you could you could
1: literally cut off a country from their main
0: supply line. well, you also, is, is, it's it, also worth mentioning as well, actually, because this is something that a lot of people don't actually know unless they work in the field. but talking about international trade, the majority, the vast majority of international Mm. trade, like intensive, very large international trade, still occurs on the sea. Well, let's think everyone has like, it's like every country has like one or two things. And then they trade
1: it with other people for other stuff, you know what I mean? Like It's probably that's putting it really bluntly. Like every country has a certain thing that they can trade with someone else. But no one has everything.
0: No, yeah, that's true. But my point is that even to this day and age, your import, exports, and all, et cetera, is not going to be done through specifically through air transport. No, it can't. And it's actually it's very, a very small percentage, increasingly small percentage, would be through airfare. Even to this day, the main, I'm talking like 95% of all imports and exports are still done on the sea. How many times have BP fucked up and sunk ships full of oil? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that stuff still happens today. I'm telling you, it's a very, it's, so imagine if it's a big navy, you can really increasingly f- um, affect a country, have, it's essentially, uh, especially the outcome of the country. It's essentially like a theoretical chokehold that you gradually get tighter around the neck of
1: that country. Because mm. at first, obviously, they'll still have their resources. But if you just sit there, as time goes on, it's going to get tighter and tighter and tighter. Yeah. until that country can't function anymore. Again, it, it is clever. It's kind of... That's probably more small-mindedness in thinking of it the way it was. It was just about guns and battles. does so much more to it. Well,
0: nobody, under, nobody really <laughs> thinks about that kind of stuff unless they've worked in it, if they've been in well, the Navy and that well, kind of stuff. I mean, it's a, well, it is a very intensive type of military tactic. Which well, is essentially exactly
1: what Japan wasn't thinking of. Again, it was, they were thinking very much brute force, boots on the ground. They weren't thinking of, we can starve a country... Yeah. We can you, you, can probably, well, you could probably assen- really starve China. <laughs> no, you can't starve China, but you, you, essentially you, if you cut off a certain country's, you know, main source of things, you could essentially, you know, um, insinuate what civil wars, everything, if the people get desperate enough, that kind of thing. It is a very clever way.
0: Yeah, yeah. It is. But like I said, this led Yamamoto to opposing the invasion of China. But not only that. He also opposed war with the U.S. Now, there are a couple of reasons for this, multiple reasons. First, Yamamoto may have actually, it's argued that he developed a soft spot for the U.S. during his time at Harvard, Mm -hmm. um, as well as the multiple times he was stationed in the U.S. He actually learned fluent English and all that while he was here. He um, He enjoyed his time in the U.S., But second, he was aware of the important political power that America had at the time. For instance, if the U.S. were to impose sanctions on the Japanese, which in this particular part of the story they hadn't yet, as they were soon to do anyways, Mm -hmm. Yamamoto knew that the Japanese would have a very, very small window to fight a war with the U.S. before they completely depleted their resources. I'm talking Mm -hmm. – essentially, he's talking a year um, of survival without exports and imports and exports six months if they start a war. Now, mm-hmm. in 1923, Yamamoto was promoted to captain, and he changed his specialty from gunnery to naval aviation, which would become a great passion for him throughout the rest of his career. And this is where I I wanted to point out that it's a lot more to the attack the attack on Pearl Harbor than just it's a lot more than just oh, fly a plane, bomb mm. He went into Developing naval aviation to actually have the, to actually make this attack um, successful.
1: is I suppose. I presume that is launching planes off of ships.
0: It's launching planes off ships, but they also went into <clears throat> developing the torpedoes so that they could run in shallow water. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. a big thing out of the Pearl Harbor film, actually. You haven't seen it, but <laughs> they, they talk about this, oh, they they made this device, and it can prope- the, the propeller helps it stay. Shut up. It's very dumb. But <laughs> essentially, they helped <laughs> develop, um, first of all, uh, the submarines as well. Um, they had submarines, they had torpedoes, they had also the aviation, which involved kamikazes, which we'll get into on the next, mm-hmm. next episode. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it, but there were, um, especially the planes that were flying as well, the Japanese Zeros, we're going to have to go into details on those. There's just a lot of things that are really being developed specifically for this attack. The Yamamoto was really spearheading himself. Wasn't,
1: wasn't there a lot of things in this time, I'm sure, for this war where once you're locked in, you are like to, I'm sure there were man torpedoes. I'm sure that's a thing that happened.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think so. And I, I I, think I found something about that in my research, but I need to um, still put that together. So like, I'm, I'm sure, comment I'm, on that. I'm sure the people were welded in. Like, you are yeah, you not absolutely. coming out.
1: Once you're in, you are welded in. It's, I suppose you are essentially an underwater kamikaze pilot.
0: But yeah, essentially. Well, okay, so Yamamoto changed from gunnery to naval aviation. This is where his, political, or where his military career is at the time. Now, almost 10 years later from then, the Chinese would begin their invasion and wars with, within China. Now, again, <laughs> Yamamoto, he, he opposed these actions and was very vocal in his opposition, actually. And this, along with further actions that went against the pro-war militarist ideologies, this made Yamamoto a target for assassination by his own military I'm sure that wasn't that rare back in those days.
1: Are you listening to what I'm saying? <laughs> okay, okay. I saw just my reaction that I'm
0: very wrong. Are you I listening from, to from- what I'm saying? A high-ranking military official who is actively in the military, he's not retired, he's, not, he's actively participating in the wars of Japan, mm. is a target for assassination by his but own this, military. this, again, throughout history of Japan, this has been a thing. They will I understand that, race. but what I'm saying is, well, I guess I got to go further with the story. He does not go anywhere. He does not <laughs> leave. D- uh, let's, let me just finish this next part, then. Uh, okay. Let me finish this next bit of information. If you don't understand this, but
1: I do understand. I'm listening. I'm just trying just to be the devils I'm
0: being the devil's advocate, Cody. Listen. Okay. Go. Well, okay. To your point, Yamamoto was not the only Japanese admirable, adm- admiral against the acts of war Japan was committing. But all of these admirals were seen as acting against, um, I mean, all of them, including uh, Yamamoto. They were all seen as acting against Japan, Japan's natural interest, quote-unquote natural mm-hmm. interest. Now, so to your point, yes, there were likely other people that were assassination targets. But Yamamoto was different. He was... God I I want to we'll just have to continue with the story and I'll point out what will point out okay. what makes him different okay. now. Now Yamamoto even further to to go uh, to being a target for assassination, he started getting hate mail, death threats from Japanese nationalists, which nationalism is bad, just saying. Um, but his reaction to this, Yamamoto's reaction to the death threats was very telling of his professionalism. Now, he said the following in response to his own countrymen threatening his life, his own countrymen. And the reason I'm so stuck on this is the fact that Japan was such a nationalist country. He himself loved the empire as much as anybody else in his country. He himself loved, was as much of a nationalist as anyone else. He loved Japan with all his heart, just like anyone else did. And they wanted to kill him. (laughs) <laughs> do you not see how crazy that is? I do. That's okay. Now that you've put that into perspective, it does make well, it a lot more sense. He's, he's got the right intentions, but it's not working for him. All right. Well, let me go on to this quote from uh, Yamamoto. Oh! <laughs> 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 he sheaves his katana. <laughs> I'm sorry. Let's just get cancelled, fuck you. I'm so sorry, everybody. I'm not going to cut this out, because I thought it was funny. It wasn't meant to be <laughs>
1: racist. <laughs> he does it first! <laughs> I've been wanting to do that noise all episode. <laughs> oh. Oh, <God. laughs> Read the fucking quote, for fuck's sake. Oh.
0: <sighs> I am sorry, guys. If you, if you if you've unfollowed on Spotify, I apologize. But if you found that funny, if you did find that funny, if you laughed, you have to press follow on Spotify right now. You have now. to pay you, No, you have to press spot, follow on Spotify. Okay, let me wipe my eyes real quick because nothing is funnier than a little bit of racism, casual racism, casual. Yeah. I've got a lot Do of on, I've got it's so fun. many Japanese friends. Um,
1: you don't have any <laughs> Japanese friends. Oh, so funny enough, I then. have
0: one Chinese friend. That's right. not the
1: same. It's that's not the same. That's, I'm not that's, you made it's the it same. worse.
0: You made it worse. No, I'm saying funny enough because we're discussing China and whatever. Anyways, now this is a, this this now is the quote. Okay, I promise. To die for emperor and nation is the highest hope of a military man. After a brave, hard fight, the blossoms are scattered. Uh, Let me restart this. Again, let me put this in perspective. Sorry, Yamamoto is saying this in response to the death threats to him. Now, Mm -hmm. to die for emperor and nation is the highest hope of a military man. After a brave, hard fight, the blossoms are scattered on the fighting field. But if a person wants to take a life instead, still the fighting man will go to eternity for emperor and country. One man's life or death is a matter of no importance. All that matters is the empire. As Confucius said, they may crush cinnabar, yet they do not take away its color. One may burn a fragrant herb, yet it will not destroy the scent. They may destroy my body, yet they will not take away my will.
1: Yeah, but if they destroy his body, his, his will kind of goes with it.
0: It doesn't though. It's
1: no, it's a, it's a lovely he, quote. He
0: doesn't care. He doesn't care that his own countrymen want to kill him. He's like, eh, whatever. I mean, I'm, I'm sure he spent nights being like, God, this kind is a bummer. But he also does not care because he's so much in his conviction of saying, but he's not opposing the war with America for his own gains. He's imposing mm-hmm. a Amer- war for America because he knows that a war for, with America is a terrible fucking idea from a military <laughs> standpoint. For the greater good, essentially. That's yes. what his thoughts so. Yes, he's on the same side. But the other nationalists are so blinded by their their narrow-mindedness narrow and their nationalism and, yeah. that they think he's against them. And, hey, draw some parallels to politics today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. He is literally on the same side saying, if we go to war with, with Japan... We will lose, or go to war with America. Japan will lose because that's what that's all that's, that's going to happen. We don't have the resources and everybody's going, fuck you. You're going to die. <laughs> like we're going to we're going to get you before they do. Yeah, like, fuck me. Anyways. OK, I just thought that was intense for Yamamoto to go it through was, at the was, same was... time of fighting for the empire. Now, Yamamoto was then given, quote-unquote, bodyguards <laughs> by the Japanese army. Remember, uh, he was Japanese Navy, but the Japanese army was sent to protect him. And these bodyguards were actually sent under the rouges to guard Yamamoto. They weren't really guarding him. They were more so just watching his movements. Mm. Now he was then sent to serve as sea as uh, serve at sea as the commander in chief of the combined fleet in 1939 because navy leaders were certain that if he remained ashore he would be killed before the end of 1939. <laughs> now this position, commander in chief of the combined fleet, is a very high position. He was in a, an immense amount of power. So the navy still liked him he's, he's, he's Every, still. He, the his success in the military was the only thing that kept him from getting um, he was once taken out of this commander-in-chief role by um, an emperor uh, I believe it was an emperor or somebody else actually not not the emperor it was uh, someone else higher in the government he took he took him out of this position for a very uh, small amount of time in hopes that he would just go to this quiet place and retire. Mm-hmm. That was his hope, but because he was so beloved for through his military career, and beloved by a lot of different people, they just had to reinstate him as the commander in chief of the combined fleet, and he would just so, have made his way back to that position.
1: So this is a very, very respected man. especially an incredibly within- respected man, even mm-hmm. with the, the death threats. Which which is huge in Japan. I okay, know it's huge everywhere, but in Japan, that sort of, you know, respect, honor, it's massive.
0: Yeah. I think, you know, I'm making a lot of this nationalism and stuff, but there were people there that were also reasonable in the fact that they knew that he was speaking truth when mm-hmm. he said that this is a bad idea to go to war because we won't win. But I but, think, I sp- you know. I suppose
1: if you emperor, which means the government, is backing that side. You can't really speak out. <laughs> well, no, he he spoke out. And he, he, did, he did, he did. But I'm pretty sure like, there were people in, there, you know, the general public who were like, "Yeah, I agree with him," who weren't going to say anything.
0: Yeah, I mean, he he obviously spoke out. But he, <clears throat> uh, the thing is, he always spoke out from the support of Japan. He never spoke mm-hmm. out against Japan. He always spoke mm-hmm. out on, in the hopes of assisting Japan in in any way. It was always, in a way, to better Japan and to keep <laughs> it from being being harmed, which is respectable in its own way, I suppose. Well, Yamamoto continued his military career, and mm-hmm. like I said earlier, there were some attempts to push him aside, but his support always outweighed his uh, opposition. And he was made, after that, um, Admiral of the Japanese Navy, which uh, I believe this particular position in the Japanese Navy is, he was head of the Navy. He <laughs> was the guy, and he still had held his post as commander in chief of the combined fleet. So the combined fleet, uh, what I would assume is he's the head of the navy, but he also was in charge of a large number of fleets. Mm-hmm. Uh, essentially, <laughs> most likely the Pacific, most of the ones that were stationed in the Pacific, I assume, because I, I, I would assume at this time they had naval um, ships around the world, like most uh, superpowers did, but or yeah. do. But either way, he was still in charge of a large number of people.
1: Yeah. Got of natural leadership abilities. Surely. Oh, yeah, definitely.
0: <laughs> well, it soon became apparent that the Japanese government was pushing harder for war with the U.S. And although Yamamoto opposed the action, he felt strongly that it would not end well for Japan. Uh, he also respected his position in the Japanese military. And he set out to develop a war strategy that would work well against the U.S. See, that's... A good soldier, then, essentially. Lord, like, he was an incredibly good soldier. Doesn't really go
1: with his way of thinking, but he's going to use what he has, which is obviously an incredibly apt military mind, and try and put it to. Again, he doesn't want it, but if he's going to do it, he's going to do it right.
0: Yeah, exactly. He's going to do it right, and he's going to do it. He's going to. He's going to do his jobs, essentially, but he's going to mm-hmm. do what he needs to do for the Empire. Yeah. Now, at this time, the previously discussed sanctions were already in place, and Yamamoto knew that Japan had at most three years of oil available, and then much less if Japan entered an all-out war with the U.S. And like I said earlier, by his calculation, uh, the Japanese had a year to win a war with America, with it much likely being closer to six months, or Japan would be subject to a uh, decidedly obvious defeat against the U.S., It kind of feels like the U.S.
1: didn't need to drop the bombs. No, they did. (laughs) I don't Uh, think they did. I feel like like Japan would... Okay, the war may have gone on a bit longer, but I feel like Japan would have burnt themselves out.
0: No, you say that, but the the thing about the Japanese is they just did not want to surrender.
1: But the bombs made him surrender because of that massive. It did.
0: And you know what? We'll get into that discussion on another yeah, episode. Yeah, we'll get
1: that into another episode.
0: We will do. Yeah, we will do a full discussion on that. Now, this is what Yamamoto said. I've got another quote from him. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. Don't do it. I'm not going to do it. This is what Yamamoto said. I should have done it. That would have been hilarious. This is what Yamamoto said of the military. <laughs> this is what he said about the military action against the U.S. Should hostilities once break out between Japan and the United States, it would not be enough that we take Guam or the Philippines, not even Hawaii or San Francisco. To make victory certain, we would have to march into Washington and dictate the terms of peace in the White House. I wonder if our politicians, who speak so lightly of a Japanese-American war, have confidence as to the final outcome and are prepared to make the necessary sacrifices." He knew that if you wanted to fight America, you'd literally have to invade mainland America and take it the whole thing over. But That doesn't happen. You can't he do that. It doesn't happen. That's his point. Is it's, 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 hap- it's happened before. And they chucked him out. Us, British. <laughs> he literally <laughs> does, he knows that this is a very bad idea. And it's very interesting. That actual quote was um, circulated around in America, actually. Um Without the last sentence where he says, I wonder if our politicians have confidence to the final outcome and are prepared to make the necessary sacrifices. They cut that part out and only left in the parts of saying, if we fight them, we have to take Japan, Guam, Philippines, San Francisco. And to make victory certain, we have to march on Washington and dictate terms in the White House. They kept that part of the quote in in America and circulated that around to kind of drive Americans a bit crazy. So essentially propaganda? To Yeah. To pro- uh, no, it's not even essentially propaganda. It's it is propaganda. War.
1: It is black and
0: white propaganda. Yeah, to basically get them riled up for war. Um, if it were to come soon, which it was about to come soon. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, because of this, this quote, um, and how he felt about the war, Yamamoto had to come up with a plan for a quick victory against the U.S., Mm -hmm. and he decided that the only way japan could possibly win this war was to begin with a sneak attack that crippled the american forces in the pacific which would give the japanese enough time to force their way into the oil rich areas of southeast asia all the surrounding islands see this makes this is making it more a lot more sense to me now
1: because i did always kind of again as someone who's you know doesn't know the full story a bit stupid i always thought that the kind of um the Pearl Harbor attack felt kind of futile. Obviously a lot of people lost their lives. It's not futile, but I felt like what did it achieve? That's the thing. But, is, I, but now that you now that you're mentioning this, I do understand where you're coming on. It's that same naval fleet thing.
0: Cripple the Navy. You know, the idea of it's good, but you're right though in that it is a futile effort because this is essentially Yamamoto. I mean he wrote out all his options and found this one and said, nah, "Let's do it." Like you know what I mean. Like it was, mm. it was a lashed ditch My, effort. It, yeah.
1: We didn't have much choice, did he? Because like, okay, he's got to you know come up with a plan to fight the enemy, but also he's had his own people sent to assassinate him, like...
0: <laughs> well, no, he didn't <laughs> I care know, about it's... that. He wasn't, he wasn't going to be deterred either way. He was going to do what he needed to do. But the thing is, he, he just knew that it was a bad idea, and he had to find the, the I suppose, the lesser of any evil. But mm. what he found was, we have to do it quick. We have to do it quickly. We have to cripple them. So it's a hard, fast attack. So SAIF, that's
1: kind of what I'm thinking, though. SAIF, the U.S. didn't have the nukes. Would this have worked?
0: No, I don't think so. Yeah, oh, I don't think so either, but... I don't think so because America really went all in <laughs> after this. And we yeah. really went hardcore. And there was a lot of... I mean, you're talking about... We'll talk about it on the next episode. But you're talking about a huge increase of pro-war stances in America. Everybody was like, fuck it. Mm-hmm. We're going to war. We don't care if there's another recession. Mm-hmm. Let's do it. Like they, they were done. And when those bombs dropped, everybody was like, yeah, like it was, you know what I mean? It was, it was a huge change of mentality that Japan, I do not think was ready for. It's, it's, it's almost like, you know, like the conspiracy about nine
1: 11, where the side America did it himself to get people on board with inviting Iraq. Yeah. It's almost like that, but not a conspiracy. You that's know what I mean? Thing, like, you can look at this, though. You can it's look like they this did it themselves.
0: You can look at this and be like, "Huh, that could work again." And you could see it being used literally as 9-11. You know what I mean? You could see it as being. We could orchestrate something that could get people riled up again. We could do that easily, and mm. you can you can see that's easily something that could that a world power, a world superpower, could easily orchestrate or. Could easily allow to happen, but that's a whole another story. A whole essentially, like
1: saying that the average person isn't that smart, myself included. Well, yeah, we are easy. We are easily rolled up as as a species. We are essentially
0: just advanced monkeys. That's true, I suppose. Depending on you know, my my Christian view is that we are only uh, the, the world's only three thousand years old. So, <laughs> and it's flat. And it, well, I don't know if that's a bit crazy. <laughs> I can see a little bit concave. <laughs> well, we said that <clears throat> we said that Yamamoto needed a sneak attack, a sneak quick attack. Now, America had made Pearl Harbor their hub for military activity in the Pacific. It was in Hawaii. So it was ob- it was the obvious sh- choice of attack, and because the loss of Pearl Harbor would mean an incredible blow to the U.S. in the Pacific Theater. I mean, it was their hub centrally. It was the biggest thing in the Pacific that they had. So if it was a successful attack, it would do a shit ton of damage. So, Mm -hmm. Yamamoto set out to develop the plan for one of the most deadly attacks in American history. This man, who opposed war with the U.S., would go on to devise the attack that would end in the deaths of over 2,000 Americans and lead to awful... Repercussions (laughs) just handed out against the Japanese. And that's where we're going to pick up next week or next episode on our series on Pearl Harbor.
1: I'm pretty sure anyone who knows anything about history will know what's coming up when yeah. it comes to dead deadly repercussions. But I've learned a lot this episode. There's a lot of stuff I didn't know. I hope Honestly, so. I hope you wasn't. enjoyed
0: it. Well, you know, I know it's a crazy lead up to something very, very uh emotional and intense. I mean, next episode is gonna be very intense. It's a it's a very, very incredibly horrible attack on American soil. And it was I mean, God, there were heroes on this on this day and it's i mean i found stories from not just military members i mean there's so mm-hmm. many cool stories because what we're going to do is we're going to tell the story of of the attack in the next episode the mm-hmm. day of but we're also going to go into the individual stories of some of the people and then obviously the aftermath of what it um, caused
1: Best thing, that's that's something that's easily forgotten as well though is you got to think about these japanese pilots
0: and we're going to be discussing the Japanese pilots <laughs> like, as well. Like
1: I like, like said, to get into a plane and go, this is my, these are my last few hours on earth. Like just and the sheer bravery of it.
0: There's a lot of stuff. again, they were the enemy, but to them, not to them, they weren't. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's inc- it's intense, man. I mean, there was a fantastic book that I was reading. Um, on this actually i was a um listening to it on audible actually so um we might have had an audible um ad in this episode so if you (laughs) heard that audible ad feel free to click the link in the episode description and get a free month of audible uh it's fantastic to use uh if you like if you like podcasts you'll love audible for its audiobooks and stuff it's so it's so nice but um The book that I've been reading mostly for this episode is um, December 7th, 1941 by Gordon Prang, I think it is, or Prange, and it's a very detailed, intensive, um, detailed account of... Everything from the lead-up and the um, the aftermath, but also the lead-up of individual people, including Japanese people, you know, okay. Japanese pilots and stuff. And it tells stories of one of the pilots having breakfast with his family the day before or the week before and then going off and and just dive-bombing a, a, a fucking air freighter and stuff or a, a Navy ship and that. I mean, it's just it's very intense very cool stuff though uh, mm-hmm. not cool mm-hmm. but it's obviously very interesting to yeah it's an interesting story because it's a collision mm-hmm. it's a it is the one of the only times in history i mean it's a very few times in history where there's a collision of these types of ideologies like you you have the same thing with the germans with the nazis and americans and obviously all the allied forces for the beach in normandy you know the on D-Day. I mean, that's a whole nother collision that caused a whole the, nother um, a whole nother moment in history that was just insanity. I mean the thi- that's the that's the
1: thing that 99% of through every war ever, 99% of the people are just people who have been commanded. You know what I mean? Like and they're <laughs> they just, just
0: and they just believe different things.
1: Yeah, but even that like it's, again even if you look at the Germans during the war, the German standard foot soldier. He was no different to a British foot soldier or an American foot soldier. Like, you were told what to do, and you went and did it. And you were seen as venomous and an enemy, but all these people had families, that kind of thing. Again, that thing with the uh, Japanese soldier having breakfast before getting into a plan, knowing you're never going to see
0: your wife and child again. I mean, it's insane, man. It makes you think, like... uh, It's hard to describe. (laughs) It's hard to describe. It's just... It it is very intense to think that on every side of every, every fight, there's always a, well, God, I I didn't know we would be fighting kids that were just like us. You know Mm. what I mean? And that's always what it is. We're also going to discuss something next week uh, or next episode about um, someone who opposed the war against Japan. And um, it was one person, one person in uh, the U.S. government that opposed it. Um, Joe Biden. No, yeah, God. No, he was like, get in there. Like, he was, no, uh, honestly. That was, that was Dick Cheney. That was Dick did. Cheney. That was pretty close. Wasn't he? He's like, all right. Shoot him all in the face. Give my company the contracts. God, Dick Cheney's voice makes me cough. I don't know how he does it. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> <coughs> Jesus. Okay, can't do that again. But
1: yeah, like I say, back to the Audible thing. As someone who drives for a living like me, any any long-distance drivers, I definitely recommend subscribing to Audible.
0: It's really cool. You can actually get a free subscription right now, obviously, like we said, if you click the link in our uh, episode description. Or you, you can actually go to com slash Audible, and the link will be there as well. You can sign up for a free month of Audible, and I believe you get a free credit, which the credit means you get a free book. So you can sign up for Audible, get the free credit, you can get the free book, and you can cancel if you like, but that book stays in your Audible account, so you can listen to it whenever. It's a free month, isn't it? It's a free month, and um, every month you get another credit. (coughs) So definitely worthwhile, (coughs) definitely worthwhile. Yeah, it's a really cool service. I really enjoy it. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Thanks, Greg. I hope you enjoyed it. I did. I did. It's very, I learned a lot. I know I
1: say every episode, but every episode I generally do learn a lot about things I thought I knew about or didn't know about.
0: Well, I'm glad I could uh, give that to you. Thank you guys so much. Please tune in for next week's episode or next, uh, the next episode depending on where you're listening to this you might get mm-hmm. it earlier if you listen to the uh plus stream or you might or plus feed or you might be getting it in a week and a half or or two weeks or whatever but um thank you guys so much for listening thank you so much like again thank you for being fans up to this point as well and uh staying fans with us and uh supporting us even through our hiatus that was really helpful it really helped me I need some time off. Yeah, we really need some time off and to get things in order. But um, again, please, if you feel like we deserve anything, um, feel free to head over to unfortunatehistory.com slash plus and sign up for our plus feed so you can get all of the extra bits that we'll be releasing soon. But uh, by the time this episode airs, we'll probably have a couple of things up there. So hopefully, I don't know. you never know we we could have anything hopefully we'll have a couple of episodes already uploaded by the time you go over there we'll need to Well, you know what greg we will we have to we definitely will (coughs) so go check now go sign up now you'll find some extra episodes that you'll be able to listen to and you'll be like holy crap i I didn't know this was here 4.99 not too bad but thank you guys so much for listening i think we should just go ahead and cut it there because we've already said all the housekeeping at the beginning episode Mm. which is a very big podcast faux pas yeah that's what it is it is yeah but I suppose um, if you'd like to follow the podcast you can just google Unfortunate History if you want to follow me google Cody Pennington Greg
1: and if you'd like to follow me it's g.skin93 on Instagram and other than that it's always Greg Skinner
0: there you go well with that said unfortunately we gotta go but we'll be back sooner than normal <laughs> we won't be taking another break so <laughs> stay unfortunate stay unfortunate guys to up. bye